Welcome to The Interop. Today, my guest is Omer Michael. He's Chief Architect at Lava Network. Lava is a modular data network for scalable access to Ethereum, Cosmos, and rollups. In today's conversation, we'll discuss the market of blockchain data, RPC, API, and relayer providers, and how Lava is creating the Uber for blockchain data. We'll discuss Lava's ranking and matching engine and how that works the different participants in the Lava network and how they are held accountable for providing reliable and accurate data and where Lava fits in the modular stack. Before we get started, make sure to subscribe to get notified when new episodes drop every week. And remember that none of what we discuss here on The Interop is investment advice. And if you enjoyed this content, please consider staking with us. We're validating on Evmos, Quicksilver, Osmosis, and Juno. Just look for Interop in the active set. My guest, Omer Michel, is coming up next, right here on The Interop. here with Omer from Lava. Hey, Omer, how's it going? Hi. Hi, Sebastian. Good to be here. Yeah, it's good to get you on. Um, we've covered Lava on the podcast before. It was a couple months ago. I had Yair on the podcast, and we talked about the Lava vision and the problems that Lava uh, is solving. But now, as the product is getting closer to mainnet, and there's been uh, a couple of announcements over the last couple of weeks, and like some new content coming out around Lava, I thought it'd be a good time to get you guys back on and take the conversation from a different angle uh, because uh, I think with you, we might, might go a little bit more technical, a little bit more in the weeds here about, um, about the product, but also the different types of problems that it's, sol that it's solving for developers and just blockchains in general. Um, but first, yeah, a little bit of background about yourself. Um, how did you uh, become chief architect at Lava? Um, hi guys, so um, I'm excited to be here and thank you Sebastian for having me. Uh, those are indeed exciting times for uh, Lava Blockchain with the mainnet nearing Q1. Um, we're progressing well with our uh, plans and it's going to be released really soon. Uh, also we're coming up with some very nice announcements so uh, please uh, stay tuned for the Lava Phase 3 uh, that's going to introduce uh, Magma, our point system. Um, so, um, since those are exciting times, um, I'm here to uh, help uh, clear up uh, what is Lava and uh, what we're doing. I am Omer, I'm a father of one and soon two. Um, I relocated, uh, th thank you. Um, I relocated to Israel to start uh, together with uh, Gil and Yair, the co-founders of uh, the company. And I've been building uh, Lava since its uh, inception. Um, I'm a security researcher. I have intensive background in communications and hardware development and mobile research. And I've been all over the place. I like to be versatile. And when Gil and Yair introduced me to blockchain, uh, it was uh, two months after my first born. Um, and I had to struggle between not reading too much and not feeding too much bowels. Um, I got hooked on uh, Cosmos ecosystem. It looked so promising, the modularity of it. It was the you know introduction of ZK proof, the probabilistic improvements of it. Um, and those were very exciting times for crypto back in 2020, 2021. Um, 
and uh, being introduced to it I read about the problems of RPC and Moxie blog post that is a very respected OG in the space and um, stuff didn't add up uh, on RPC and the amount of projects that were aiming to solve that are so few and I didn't understand how difficult that problem is when I got into the solving it together with you know the co-founders and I'm so happy I didn't understand it because I had so many pleasant surprises along the way and so much innovation um, that I personally love um, together with the amazing team of the guys at Lava we have been uh, you know crunching them one after the other um, deciding on trade-offs that haven't been done in the space and um, now that we feel that the product is in a great shape uh, and can move on to the next step we are on testnet for the last year and a half um, and we are already have production uh, customers on it so our testnet going mainnet is kind of a weird thing because we're already incentivizing you know chains with you know iprpc we're going to talk about that a bit later um, so that transition is going to be a great milestone for us i'm really excited for it yeah it's interesting you guys have been in in testnet in production for some time because uh teams have been and chains have been using lava even though it's a test net so you know smaller validator set and like a handful of people sort of running the chain but the product works i mean you guys have had uh you know a couple dozen chains uh live there in, in production for 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 some time now um yeah we'll talk about the the mainnet uh you know when mainnet in a little in a little bit but Maybe it's uh, helpful here to go back and just refresh everyone's memory about um, what is Lava and what problem it's solving for for blockchains, but also like developers that are building applications on blockchains, rollups, etc. Great, I'd love to go into detail. Um, so you know, with the modular narrative and the very great increase of um, separate stacks and solutions and new chains popping up um, the need to address developers has a reason and lava traditionally was focused on you know decentralizing rpc understanding the the, the pain points of the back then ecosystem but the ecosystem has evolved and by looking at the ecosystem and seeing the focus it's been on monolithic chains as well they have been focused on execution, you know, gas prices and their cost and, you know, permissionlessly uh, allowing state rights, but uh, making sure they're not wasteful. But the focus on the developers needing to interact with the blockchain and getting them to the mainstream has been always lacking and lagging behind. It's been there, uh, you know, you have great uh, centralized providers that have filled that gap um, and have been helping developers uh, on board and you have a lot of new solutions popping up, but the problem in the stack today is fragmentation uh, So lava aims to be the fourth layer of the modular stack and be the data access layer and help those developers That want to build tools to get to the end user uh, Interact a lot of ecosystems are focusing on improving the existing infrastructure more transaction per second and less checks and less test your own uh, capabilities and those are great technological solutions but somebody needs to help developers access that growing space 
if you have 50 great modular chains, you're going to need 50 ways to access them. And if it's fragmented and you have different services for each, whether it's RPC and, you know, the evolved, evolvement of that by solvers and sequencers um, and oracles and all of that, if the barriers to move between them is high, then developers would need to choose. And the beauty of that modular narrative is that developers don't need to choose. They can build whatever, wherever. And then by doing that, Lava tries to help them do exactly that. It tries to give them a place that they can access whatever they need that's flexible enough. And how do you do that? You're doing it in a permissionless way and an open source way that anybody can access. So Lava is a blockchain that allows anybody to join and set up a um, modular uh, Lego block that we call a spec. And after you add it uh, via a governance proposal, any consumer can consume it and any provider can provide it. Uh, and since it's permissionless and anybody can add it, uh, it allows you to expand greatly and uh, communication is done off-chain entirely uh, via peer-to-peer -peer network. Uh, so Lava acts kind of like a facilitator of that communication, but is not a middleman to it. So Lava always, you know, you go to Lava, you add your service uh, via spec, you register your provider, and consumers can um, get their uh, subscription on-chain, and then they directly communicate with you. And as a provider of uh, information, of services, of data, whether it's RPC or um, evolves, evolvements of that, um, you can uh, move that uh, settlement on-chain and get your uh, reward. So Lava is kind of like an interaction between off-chain and on-chain communications and the settlement of that off-chain communication together with guarantees and accountability. So we have been building that uh, in order to help uh, developers uh, on board and get you know quality services and not needing to do market research on how I'm going to access Ethereum, how I'm going to access Cosmos Hub, how I'm going to access Celestia, um, because uh, they're going to have a bunch of uh, high quality providers uh, highly available. Great. The way I like to describe Lava is Uber for blockchain data. It, to me, it, it, it's really creating a marketplace for data providers, all sorts of data providers, and also services that work adjacent to blockchains like um, like RPCs and relayers and all of this really critical infrastructure that blockchains need in order to, to function, that, that users need in order to be able to send transactions, uh, to relay transactions across bridges, all these things that we do on a regular basis relies on, uh, on third parties. And Lava is sort of solving the problem there that this, this uh, ecosystem of third parties that provide these services is, is highly centralized, or at least the relationships are, the, the commercial relationships between either the applications and those service providers or the users and those service providers is, is highly uh, fragmented and, and sometimes centralized. And so what Lava does, in, in my view, is it, it, it really decouples uh, the relationship from the uh, from the service and, and creates a marketplace where anybody, any developer, any, um, any user in the end can have access to the best service provider that they need at a specific time in a specific geography. Um, I wonder if that's uh, like, that's a good way to sort of summarize the it product. Is, it and... is a great way to do it. And I love how you describe it as Uber because 
a lot of service providers they already have their service and they need more approachability to uh, data consumers to applications um, and you know a lot of builders they're not even bothering to build because they're not going to be as good and as big as other providers and then they're missing out on selling their uh, services so for example if I developed a great um, trading uh, platform backend that gives great statistics and I don't mind selling it, I would love to sell it, but there's no platform to, for me to offer that as a service. And then um, developers that already make very great products of analysis and data ingestion and indexing and, and, and security modules, even in the future based on AI and protection, uh, how are they going to get to the developers? Because developers don't have the time to find all the solutions in all the ecosystems, uh, learn what's good, what's not good, what's how to interact with it. Um, and even, you know, for RPC, remote procedure calls that you have in a node, even they differ greatly. You could, you could have uh, settings in the nodes, in the service providers, in how they're serving it, and then transitioning for a DAP that's already using one provider could be hurting uh, production environment and then they kind of have to uh, develop their own code in order to do liveness checks and, and transition and have fallbacks and a lot of those stuff Lava is building to solve and we already solved so many of these problems this is why you know our users are using us on testnet so b before we get into the nitty-gritty and the the ranking mechanism and, and all that's really interesting stuff um, I'd like to maybe just put a pin in the like RPCs and relayers and what are their roles uh, when using an app chain or using any blockchain application and um, and how how it, how does that currently work right so like if you're using osmosis for example you're going to be using some RPC you're going to be using also like relayers uh, where where are these RPCs and relayers coming from, and who's um, who's providing them, and like what is your relationship to them? Uh, you know, so maybe just sort of like unpacking that so that people understand um, essentially like the the the, the types of uh, of network participants that they're interacting with without really sort of knowing it. Yeah, yeah. So. Let's go in, into detail how most decentralized applications work, and we can also go into detail how some enterprise-grade services work. So let's say you're going on Uniswap in your browser. So Uniswap has their own uh, account with an RPC provider, RPC being remote procedure call. It's basically anything that you send to another server to run for you and give you the response. So, Traditionally in the crypto space, uh, RPC refers to raw uh, functions being implemented in a basic node function, but RPC could also be indexing services because you trigger a function with arguments on the other side and it gives you a response for it after executing code. But I'll refer to, mostly I'll refer RPC to the raw RPC that you get on a node. So let's say the web page of uh, uniswap.trans in your browser it needs access, for example, to the exchange rate of USDC. So in order to do that, they need to fetch information from the blockchain. So Uniswap have their contract with, I think it's Infura currently, 
and they're uh, fetching that information from an infra endpoint, probably geolocated uh, with many load balanced nodes running behind the scene. And then infra returns that response to your web page, that response is, that is then presented. It could be followed by many more RPC calls to verify, you know, the block doesn't change or uh, verify some stuff about the RPC node itself. It could get proofs and run some uh, verifications like uh, light clients do when they want to check for themselves. Um, and then, uh, for example, you connect your wallet and then you go to your MetaMask and you want to exchange. So MetaMask has their own RPC endpoint. You know, usually they're using um, what they uh, uh, settled for. And then uh, that centralized endpoint gets the transaction. The transaction gets sent to usually a different RPC provider unless you configure it manually your own wallet. And then uh, that uh, uh, RPC provider gets the transaction, processes it, adds it to his mempool and propagates it in the network until it reaches a validator that means a block. So this is usually the flow of most uh, dApps. If you have you know, several uh, complex web pages, so every web page you open up, it runs a bunch of RPC calls to the provider. And just uh, maybe just to, to, to uh, stop you there, um, the, the reason why this exists is because no one's running their own nodes. I mean, very few people run their own nodes with which they can interact. And, you know, I think that I think in the early days of, of, of crypto, you know, like 10 years ago, you know, like a lot of people were running their own Bitcoin nodes and, or at least like people I knew were running their own Bitcoin nodes. And when they would, uh, propagate a transaction, they would send that transaction to their own node. Their node was connected to the network and like all good. Um, and then also with Ethereum, you know, it was like trivial, tr pretty trivial to like run an Ethereum node. Now it's so much more complex and there's like so many more moving parts to this, that it, it, it's a lot more complex to run your own node, unless you're, you've got like a DAP node at home or something, which is like a $2,000 investment. Um, and so that's why like we need to, you use someone else's, like you're using the blockchain cloud, essentially you're using someone else's computer to issue that trend to, to submit that transaction or fetch that data from the chain. Um, because specialization is sort of generally what happens when things get more complex. Yes. And also, uh, blockchains, you know, when time moves forward, getting uh, historical information is not something you, you can store on your phone. And even if you wanted to run your own node, you need, uh, infrastructure. So you would lose on accessibility. You wouldn't be able to access that from the browser and with the modular stack and more, you know, execution layers coming in. And each execution layer has its own rules on how to process that information. You would need so many nodes running to do a multi-chain uh, or a modular DAP that wants to interact with many chains at once. And it's going there because the more uh, chains you're going to have, the more flexibility. And then you're going to have more projects, you know, fetching something from uh solana and uh getting that availability from celestia and reading the settlement from ethereum so with all of those accesses it makes no sense that you would need to run uh, a node or even a light client for each of them it wouldn't fit any application especially if you just you know log log into your phone you open up the web page and it needs to be fast it needs to be uh, compatible with the experience you are expecting on a Web 2 API. Otherwise, you wouldn't move to Web 3. And I am a true believer that the success of blockchain is not, you know, only moving forward with tech. It's by increasing mainstream adoption. And the tech is very good 
as it is, but we need to make it easier to use, you know, more uh, social wallets and easier access and more visibility and more protection. So not only the tech savvy, our grandmas should use it, right? And when our grandmas could use it, then we can take it to the extreme. But um, uh, currently it's not like this in all of the tech stack. And RPC was a solution to that problem that uh, you needed that access fast. And RPC is very web tool like solution until you add on top of it some elements of crypto that we have developed. Um, and then um, people would look at it traditionally as a settling down for RPC. Um, but I believe RPC is here for stay in the long term because RPC means a service someone runs for you, meaning it's a cloud service like taking uh, a Docker in uh, AWS and it runs something for you. Doesn't mean you have to trust it entirely to do it, but you don't want to run it locally. When something, you know, you want to check it for yourself, you don't run it locally. You add watchdogs on it and ways to verify it and, you know, you have uh, alternatives running it for you so you can cross-reference. And those are the motives we have taken into Lava, uh, adding uh, statistical checks because you don't need to check every relay in order to, be to know that uh, you're secure unless you want to. And, and that's the flexibility we have developed because we don't know what developers are going to need because their needs are adapting. So the flexibility in our solution allows that. Yeah, yeah the, the way I, I sometimes talk about this is that like we have this very decentralized blockchain and then you have users that are interacting with those blockchains through essentially like uh, someone else's computer. And and that like it, it we, we've scaled that so that it doesn't create like bottlenecks. But the, the risk here is that um, the, the risk is that the, the access to the blockchain could be compromised if you compromise that um, that that entity, that service provider could be compromised from um, like purely sort of legal perspective. So they could be like subpoenaed to uh, to turn off their servers or, or censor transactions. It could be compromised from a regulatory perspective as well, where uh, those nodes uh, operating in certain jurisdictions would be uh, coerced to, to censor certain types of transactions or certain addresses or things like that. And so like by creating a, an open marketplace I don't think that it fully solves that problem. I mean, like regulatory capture is going to like come on the, like regulatory capture is going to happen to the industry, but at least I think it delays it and it, it creates a counter pressure to, um, you know, overzealous regulators that might want to uh, regulate basically RPC providers or like uh, entities that provide the, uh, this sort of interaction between a user and a blockchain. If the marketplace that, um, that, makes that relationship possible is itself decentralized then it's like an extra step and a more complex um a, a more complex problem to deal with from the from a regulatory perspective um let's let's um talk about the the technology here so as a as a user you you're interacting with metamask or some some wallet right and so typically here like metamask would have that existing relationship with say like Infura or Alchemy or some RPC like data provider, API provider. Um, let's let's flip that on, on its head and describe now like what that would look like in a Lava paradigm where you're now using Lava to uh, choose your RPC provider, uh, your relayer or even your indexer. 
in in a sort of like you know ideal world where lava is deployed on all these apps okay amazing so on lava's paradigm for any service you're going to have a big array of providers competing for the service to provide the best service because incentives are aligned on the Blava blockchain to the quality of service and the amount of work done. So when a user wants to use Lava, he has several ways to use it because we have offered several imp implementations of our client. The first would be uh, to go to our gateway and our gateway is running our open source server kit behind the scenes um, with, you know, uh, additional capabilities, but we've built it so people can transition uh, securely to interacting with a lot of uh, decentralized providers without, you know, changing their stack because we understand existing solutions don't want to open up their code base in order to accept a new solution. So Lava uh, created the gateway to make it uh, easy to transition and experience that. Uh, and the gateway is fully decentralized in the sense that you can run your own. So it's a solution, it's a service that you're running. And that solution helps you participate with the Lava provider and Lava protocol uh, seamlessly. Now what it does is Lava, uh, in order to be a data access layer, Lava needs to be uh, protocol agnostic. So let's say Ethereum uses JSON RPC and Aptos uses REST and Cosmos SDK, Cosmos SDK offers gRPC. Uh, Lava needs to support all of them. And that's, you know, a guiding line in our tech stack. Uh, so we need a client running the Lava code and the provider running the Lava service in order to provide the guarantees and the flexibility and the abstraction. So that client is being run on the gateway that we're offering for free. And um, consumers of data applications can just send relays like they're used to, like it's their own node. It would go to the gateway client. The gateway client would wrap it in the abstractions of the Lava protocol. And since it's uh, synced on the list of providers uh, for the gateway client, uh, it communicates directly with providers. Uh, one of the mechanisms I'm uh, pretty excited about in the Lava client is uh, the selection optimizer, where it uh, queries live and holds off uh, data uh, about the providers inter interacted with to select the best provider based on the chosen strategy. And we have developed some different strategies like a cost strategy or a privacy strategy or a latency strategy or a freshness strategy each having their own criteria when they're selecting providers because the optimization happens when you have this uh, multi-arm bedded strategy of reveal and uh, extract for the information of providers. So what that module does, it saves up the information about the relays, about the requested, uh, the request and the response and the freshness of the data being the cryptographic proofs the providers attach to the responses and then deciding what is the probability that a provider will have a specific response. So for example, I'm asking for archive data from 100 blocks ago, not archive, it's like 100 blocks ago. So the optimizer wouldn't necessarily pick the fastest provider, but rather the one that has the best availability and the best latency. So our adaptive selection mechanism implementing the client is available through that gateway. And then the gateway interacts with the providers. The provider service uh, can work with a load balancer and many nodes behind it, or 
uh, one provider service per node, and that provider um, uh, derapes the, the communication. It takes it to a language the node understands, being uh, JSON RPC, for example, or a WebSocket subscription, and then uh, sends it to the node. The node processes the request and responds. The provider service gets the response, attaches the necessary headers for accountability that the provider signs off because every request on Lava is cryptographically signed and therefore accountable, and sends it back. Uh, this back and forth between the consumer and the provider happens in something we call sessions, and sessions are aggregated in order to minimize the impact on the blockchain when you want to settle, because we are building for scale. So if every relay created a bigger proof in order to get um, rewards on-chain, uh, it wouldn't scale well. And we have seen that in other decentralized uh, solutions where the amount of relays increases the proofs. Um, so on Lava, the proofs aren't, uh, the size isn't increased, uh, and each relay is aggregated to the same size of proof. It's not even, you know, log off, or it's just the same size of proof all the time. Uh, and then the providers can claim rewards on it. Uh, another solution we offer, except for, you know, the, the uh, enterprise-grade, uh, you know, many consumer solution, we offer an SDK. It's mostly aimed for uh, web pages um, because they have the element of popping up, needing to sync really fast, get their service there, you know, uh, 100 relays, present the web page, maybe do, you know, some stuff in the background uh, later to, to refresh it. But the goal is different than, you know, having many, many users with a lot of memory. So it would be much more light. The SDK is very small in size. And we have already integrated with so many libraries, uh, Web3, VM, uh, Wagmi, Ethers, and, and whatnot. Um, and it works together uh, with those libraries. So you don't have to change your code. You just need to import the snippet that sets Lava as the layer behind this um, very flexible frameworks and you're using them as you're used to. So that's something nice that you can add on top when you're developing. So that's on the application layer. So let's say like you're building a front end, like Uniswap, say front end, you'd integrate the uh, Lava SDK into your, say, React application or your Web3.js um, and uh, that kind of uh, replaces or will will do that um, that uh, matching and provide the, the right uh, RPC endpoint or relay or, or data provider uh, to the user. Yes, and I'm really proud of that innovation because imagine that every request needs a cryptographic proof, but a web page is a compromised environment. You couldn't store your private key on a web page because you know somebody could take a console or attach a debugger and read it. So yeah. how do you provide cryptographic proofs to relays to prove that you're really the consumer and then provider needs to get paid for it. So you need to make sure it's not abusable. So we had an innovation there about a system we call badges where the front end goes to a badge server, requests for a temporary uh, uh, badge in order to use on behalf with a generated on the spot private key. And then the badge together with a private key can cryptographically sign uh, a certain amount of requests. So there's no risk of abuse because you know that the badge server protects his master key and then the secondary key of the badge um, can be used with the provider. The provider can still claim on-chain on these relays, 
but it cannot fake that badge because it's signed by the key of the of the of the subscription that created it. Okay. So, I, I, so so the matching and like all that 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 operation happens when exactly and does is is the matching happening um this is this is where i'm i i i've not yet fully understood like the uh the order of things as a user i i i connect to like osmosis i've got my kepler wallet um the when i go to the website that the website's providing data so the website has um indexers with with whom it works that's providing data to the front end uh potentially like they could have integrated lava and then lava is providing the best indexer for the user but then when it comes to relaying the transaction and uh finding the best uh rpc endpoint let's say there's like an rpc endpoint that, like down the road you're, and, and it has like all on the other um on the other ranking uh metrics it's also ranking high right so naturally you're going to want to take that one because it's geographically close and it has uh good liveness etc is the is is that matching happening directly with the user pinging the lava blockchain and the lava blockchain is sending back um a you know the, that that data provider or is it the application that's doing that from a back-end server um, and I guess my, my, what I'm trying to understand here is like, what is the level of peer to peerness that is happening and how are you like, is Lava eliminating the need for the user to interact with a third party server in this case, like Osmosis or Uniswap to do that matching for them? Do you understand my question? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I understand clearly. And I'm glad you asked it because we have two mechanisms in place. The first being a mechanism to take the very big list of providers and narrow it down. Uh, why do we need that? We need that in order to do a best mix and match of consumers and providers. And if you're not narrowing it down, any consumer can interact with many providers at once and they don't know about each other. And then you have to limit the rate that the user can do so it doesn't clog your system with many clients. So that pairing mechanism, it's happening on chain, but it's not something that you need to do often. What happens is you have a deterministic function that gets a set. It's a pseudo random function because it's deterministic based on a seed, but the seed um, depends on the blocks. So it's randomized. Um, and then you have this function. Nobody calculates it. Why? Because everybody have the arguments and they can calculate it offline. So you can run an RPC to your node. Nobody else is, knows you did it and knows what your address is. You run it and you get your list of providers. The providers aren't running it yet. Uh, so you do that, you run it locally. For that, you would need the rule set of the blockchain. So you would either need a node for it or you need somebody to run that for you, okay? And then you get that narrower list of providers. Now, how does the SDK execute that in, without trusting a third party or a single point of trust? So this where our decentralized bootstrap mechanism comes into place. It's a solution that's inspired from seed nodes where you have this initial list of, you know, uh, trust. Why I call it trust? Because it's not really trust. It's like an accountability list. So you have a list of providers that are accountable. The way you generate it is either you run it once a month, you know, with your own node, you set it up, you run it, 
you uh, write it in your backend, and then you bootstrap from there. And that list is accountable for a long period of time, let's say two months, and once a month you refresh it. So any provider on that list is accountable and if he uh, responds in a fraudulent response that is cryptographically signed, like every relay on Lava, you can report him on-chain. So the SDK starts with that list of providers. It queries them all at the same time for that initial bootstrap. Uh, and they give you the list of providers from a different chain you need. So for example, Uniswap needs an Ethereum uh, list of providers. So you would go to that static list of Lava providers for the Lava pairing and you get that smaller list of Ethereum providers. Once you have that smaller list of Ethereum providers, uh, we have the second mechanism in place, which is the optimizer that probes them live to see what is the best fit for your specific web page. Because, for example, Uniswap uses Lava and they get, you know, they get a very big uh, subscription and they get like 24 providers at the same time. Um, your web page would need all 24 at the same time. So it would probe the best ones. It would pick the closest ones with the highest quality. And then you would take those providers and you would uh, use them from your web page. So different wallets or different dApps would use a different set of providers all in the same, you know, pairing for the Uniswap account. And, you, you know, we offer configurability, you could set geolocations in the pairing. The pairing mechanism, I, I will go into detail um, if, if it's, uh, if it's uh, fitting. Uh, how that selection of providers is done on-chain, but once you have that selection, you do the sub-selection live based on the service, based on the load, and based on the latency from that specific um, node. Yeah, let's get into it. Okay, so the pairing mechanism is taking uh, several arguments into account, the first being the stake of the provider. Um, understanding that stake gives you uh, more trust and then therefore you bring more users to that provider. Uh, also, it's a mechanism for providers to fine-tune demand. So, for example, you need more demand, you increase your stake, you increase your incentive for Lava ecosystem to work, and then uh, you're getting more consumers. And uh, having that stake mechanism in place is not sufficient because providers can have different qualities. So, for example, I could be a provider that's offering archive or offering a specific add-on for debug. So, we have filters in place for uh, the specific needs of a consumer. So, uh, our uh, RPC consumers, the applications, they can configure the preference in their subscription object on-chain and then affect the pairing accordingly. So, I could provide uh, a configuration for give me a mix of uh, debug and archive and regular providers and then the pairing mechanism would create uh, what we call slots uh, for archive, slots for debug, and slots for providers, and then it would generate a list of eligible providers for that slot. Um, and then eligible providers are gonna be weighted uh, together with uh, on-chain quality of service of excellence that we're saving from replies of consumers from the same uh, group. Uh, that's our clustering mechanism. Maybe I can go into that uh, as well. Um, and then you have the score um, calculated based on the stake, based on uh, geolocation fit, uh, based on that quality of service of excellence and those filters to get a weighted choice that is pseudo 
uh, randomly calculated based on the hash of the block, on the consumer address, on the provider. And then you have that selection repeatedly fitting in providers to the slots to provide uh, the best match uh, with providers. That's a, that's a really complex mechanism. So how does this clustering work then? And like, is, is, is this create more efficiency when selecting the data provider? Yes. Um, our clustering mechanism basically counts on the fact that different consumers are going to have different needs. So for example, if I'm a consumer and I care about latency, I could create, you know, define the strategy of ranking based on uh, latency alone. And if I'm a, a consumer and I have the balance strategy, I would rank providers based on availability and sync and uh, latency together um, being, you know, um, averaged together. And then uh, every relay from a consumer to a provider, because it's wrapped in the Lava Protocol wrapper, uh, is going to contain the current quality of service from that consumer to that provider. When providers ask for rewards on-chain, they're actually reporting themselves and other providers uh, from the responses of the consumers. And they cannot be tampered with because everything is cryptographically signed by the client themselves. So we were thinking of several approaches, one being uh, a, fish, a fisherman, but a fisherman is less effective and you actually have to fund it. And what could be better than clients reporting live on their own service? And we have addressed, you know, um, incentives and game, game theoretic uh, uh, models in order to make it not profitable to lie. So the clustering mechanism is one such mechanism. So as a client, you're ranking providers and then this rank affects how you're going to get that provider in the future. What it also means that you're going to be clustered by a K-means with other clients having the same effect. So for example, if you are a very big enterprise consumer and you got in your pairing a very small node, a very small provider, and it cannot you know, uh, serve the amount of volume that you need, you're going to give him a low availability score and then you will get him less often. Other enterprise grade consumers would report the same. You would be clustered closely together uh, in, in a cluster. And then that cluster affects the way providers are chosen for that cluster. So the way we're protecting um, our customers is that if an attacker comes and provides false reports, if they're outside the, you know, the, the, the standard deviation of the cluster, he would move to a different cluster. And, uh, you know, there's going to be live feedback from, you know, the, the providers themselves about the quality of the service that consumers saw. And that picture of cluster is going to be uh, adapted accordingly. Now, when it comes to the the participants that are making this matching happen, um, who are the different participants of the Lava chain? I mean, obviously we have the validators, like Lava is a Cosmos chain and there are validators that uh, secure the chain, participate in governance, etc. cetera. Um, but there's other um, participants. Uh, can you describe each participant and what is their role in making in the Lava function? Yeah, yeah. sure. I would love that. Um, so the validators are maintaining the security of the chain, uh, but besides them, you have uh, two more important roles for the protocol. The first being the data providers. They are registering on chain to provide data and they're staking their tokens in order to incentivize them to provide uh, honest uh, service. And there are the consumers that are purchasing uh, subscriptions on chain uh, via transaction and getting access to that data. 
Um, so providers would need to run a service and a node uh, for the chain that they're supporting or the service they're indexing or the AI that they're running. And the consumers, uh, they have the single subscription. After it was purchased, they can start uh, sending relays to all of the providers. And the fourth role in the ecosystem are contributors. Contributors are uh, people that can either create new specifications and add them uh, or encourage existing and maintain existing specifications. They are participating in a reward uh, based on their contribution. Uh, and they're actually the ones that are adding more services. So it's like an NFT that you mint. So the creator gets, you know, his share of the reward. So if you want to create a new service, you set it up on Lava, you're going to get your share of rewards as long as it works and it's being used. Uh, and this is how you scale it uh, with incentivizing innovation and, and creating services that actually match what developers and applications need. Right. And so we... The, just to clarify here, like the, the, the consumers are the end users that are interacting with Lava uh, directly, but the those who are paying the service providers on behalf of the consumers are the project. So the consumer isn't paying a service provider directly via transaction fee. That's abstracted away so that they just have to use it. They can just use the service. Um, there's probably like a blockchain or a foundation or, or some other some other uh, entity, um, you know, the product that is paying uh, Lava to uh, to facilitate this relationship? Well, long term, that's exactly the vision. But what we currently see, and I'm pretty proud of that collaboration, is the ones that are funding that are actually ecosystems. So we have several partnerships that we think are going very well um, with uh, Near, FMOS, and Axelar. And those ecosystems together with our partnership are actually purchasing those subscriptions for the consumers to use. And in a project we call IPRPC, Incentivized Public RPC, um, the benefits of that uh, approach is that ecosystem that traditionally have to deal with centralized providers and, you know, doing a, a, a mix and match of several providers or closing a deal as a foundation with those providers, um, they are, didn't know what they're paying for. I mean, they can get feedback from developers or they run their own testing services, but it's actually very hard for them to know if the customers are happy and what they're getting. So our very big customers being ecosystems are uh, joining us and they're taking their rewards and they're distributing them back to the community of their providers. And we have our faithful providers you know, they're seeing a new initiatives and they're joining their forces and setting up new nodes in the ecosystem in order to provide service for it, uh, being incentivized in the native token of the ecosystem, which is uh, very exciting because, you know, this is how during testnet we could actually make it production ready. Um, and um, then, the, you know, where, where these ecosystems actually give back to the providers and the providers give back to developers and developers can, you know, interact and experience and ask for more services. Everything uh, works together much better. Um, ecosystem has have a peace of mind about, you know, the load and about the, the quality of service because it's all settled on chain on the Lava blockchain. It's public information. Everybody can see how much the ecosystem cares about developers. Uh, providers can check their profitability. And if the ecosystem wants to scale up the support, for example, 
God bless, we're gonna have a bull run soon. And suddenly, uh, near are gonna, you know, launch their data availability service, and it goes well, and everybody wants to scale up using near. How they're gonna scale up? So now they have to go and negotiate with their centralized provider, uh, and the centralized provider, you know, would struggle to ramp up their service because it's temporary. Uh, that the easy alternative that is offered via IPRPC, uh, and I think it's what attracts them, is that they can increase the rewards. Uh, regular Joes can set up nodes, uh, being uh, having lower barriers of entry to provide high quality service because the services we provide already have a lot of tech that regular people aren't able to uh, deploy. So. It was mostly saved for VC-backed centralized companies, and we took the, the that that time to develop during the bear market, and we provided these tools to the community, uh, and we have some very nice innovations in terms of performance that make it uh, for that anybody that deploys a node uh, can join and provide service, high quality service with that, uh, and our docs help them improve over time, and the feedback from the system is going to help them improve over time. And while they're at it, they're not disturbing users because, you know, uh, we just speak the best ones uh, and they're incentivized to do it. So it's a very nice uh, ecosystem of uh, symbiosis. I think there's one thing that, um, that there's one um, benefit that is maybe not obvious from using, that, from using Lava is that applications using Lava get all of their data in one place. They get all of their data providers in one place. So if you're if you're an application that uh, interacts with many different chains, um, say in your front end, or you have like relays that send messages uh, to and from different chains, using Lava across your entire stack just allows you to get access to everything because Lava already integrates with like more than thirty chains. Uh, I, I keep losing track of count because you're adding new ones all the time, but. Um, but yeah, basically it's like you get a one-stop shop for all of your data needs um, and not have to have like relationships with different data providers, et cetera, and like different types of data providers. Exactly. And also on top of it, you can own what is offered on Lava. Having the specs being a modular stack and anybody can add a spec, let's say as a developer, you need something that's not supported on Lava. Um, then you can set it up as a proposal. Um, you can discuss in the community to see, you know, that the providers and uh, there, it, after it's passed and introduced on Lava permissionlessly, um, it start being served immediately, and you don't need to change your tech stack. Uh, you can set up one SDK instance on TypeScript web page, and you get access to all these sites at once. And if you look at the networking, you're gonna see your pinging near providers and Ethereum providers and Lava providers and uh, Bera chain providers. And it's all existing in the same SDK. So the flexibility of building multi-chain is amazing. And you know, the widgets that you can build on top of it to have pre-made front-end libraries is gonna be amazing. And within the vision of Lava, uh, people wanting to go multi-chain will have it very conveniently in their single on-chain subscription. Uh, currently, everything is for free, uh, and while ecosystems keep, you know, IPRPC live, it's gonna stay that way for those ecosystems 
uh, unless you're you know uh, scaling very well which is good news for applications and then you need more um, and then uh, this uh, tool is aiming to help you access the increasing modular stack and without this tool you would have so much fragmentation and then developers would have to choose where they're building and what they're building on uh, which is something that is going to prevent web3 from scaling cool so i'd like to maybe take a step back here a little bit and um, talk about the modular stack and uh, like so far i think we've been talking about lava in the context of the you know monolithic chain and app chain paradigm or at least that's how i've been framing it in my mind um now as uh the ecosystem moves to a layer two roll-up model and we have thousands of applications leveraging underlying security underlying data layers uh, data availability layers um, how will Lava help support the growth of the ecosystem? Looking at the three existing modular stacks, you could see that the access for developers is kind of missing from the paradigm. And Lava aims to be that fourth layer of developer access. And how we do that is we're going to aim to fix fragmentation. So let's say we have Eclipse building an SVM machine on top of a Celestia data availability layer and Ethereum uh, settlement, and then suddenly how do developers access that? So do they need to now ask some centralized provider uh, to, to support it? And then having you know up and coming ecosystems, they need a way to convince uh, um, that it's worth it, that it's financial and waiting for them to add it. Or even worse, let's say they mention, you know, uh, having 10,000 app chains uh, popping up, it would be so easy to set up an app chain. But if it's very difficult to develop on it because the rule set of the app chain is not readily available for applications to process, then that could actually be the bottleneck for scaling up. And with a future, with a paradigm where Lava simplifies that, Lava supports these app chains very quickly and easily. The modular specs, the beauty of it is that they can inherit existing solutions. So let's say you created uh, an SVM. You don't need to create a new spec. You just say, hey, this is an SVM. Let me inherit from an SVM spec. Define the new verifications that you need for your own solution, being it, for example, a different chain ID even. It could be the only difference uh, in terms of, you know, data access. Uh, and then providers can uh, serve it. So the thing is, specs are so flexible in the way that what you can bring into your existing solution without having a lot of work that uh, it scales very well with new chains. So, for example, Bera Chain had their testnet very successful initially and they had RPC problems. Uh, and Gil, our CTO, told me, hey, can we support BearChain immediately? And it took me one hour to deploy it on our testnet. And it took me longer, you know, to get people that have the binary to actually join it. So the Lava stack actually supported it super fast. And that's how easy it is to add existing solutions. Uh, and Lava was built to support all of those solutions, supporting so many different API interfaces 
being it gRPC, REST, URI, Tendermint, JSON RPC, WebSocket, you name it, GraphQL queries, um, all of those are abstracted by our clients, meaning that you can, you know, just patch in your API set, you define, you know, the, the rule set of the APIs, stuff like the compute units that you're offering for each API. So settlement is fair in terms of uh, compensation and incentives to the load that you're performing. Um, and then that's it, you're ready to go. You attract your uh, providers. If you have a faithful community that are already running it, so they can access immediately developers. If you want to do an IPRPC endeavor or you want, uh, you know, developers are profitable enough to pay for it, um, they have the flex flexibility to do so. So if, if we have light clients, let's say in a future where you know, you're, you're interacting uh, with a chain or with an application via a light client on your phone or light clients are integrated in browsers and you only interact with the chain directly or mostly directly, you know, like let's, let's think big here. Um, does, yeah, what's the, what's the role of lava then in that case? Yeah, I would love to answer that because it's uh, something that you have to really think about in order to process. Light clients are an amazing solution for a certain set of requirements. Um, they can help you verify yourself, which is amazing. It is amazing if you don't have to go lightweight. And even with super lightweight light clients, you still need, in order to verify that, that you are doing more processing. So light clients are lighter than regular nodes, but they are not lighter than somebody else processing for you. Uh, and when those queries are super heavy or computational is complex, light client cannot replace that. What it can do is it can delegate it. So a lot of light clients are actually RPC. What they're doing is they're asking a node to run, you know, to give them a proof and the data because they don't have it, right? They can verify, but they're not tracking the chain and doing calculations. Mm -hmm. So actually light clients are actually RPC clients. They're asking the chain. Now, why do people treat light clients differently than RPC? because light clients usually do it on the peer-to-peer -peer network. So usually when you have an RPC, you have a dedicated node for RPC and the peer-to-peer -peer network that you're running with regular nodes. And you do not differentiate usually on the peer-to-peer -peer light clients and regular nodes that you need in order to sync on the network. Um, but in a future where you have so many light clients, the load of computation is gonna fall on nodes. So these nodes are gonna either altruistically or with a service, service those thousands of light clients querying, give me the balance and give me a proof for it and give me an ETH call uh, contract or give me a, spe a specific accounts permissions. And then the nodes need to supply that. And if they're not supplying that, there's no answer for the light client. So in a future where Lava exists, actually Lava facilitates the communication of light clients and their dedicated nodes. So imagine you could get a subpar experience of light clients via the peer-to-peer -peer network, but you could actually use Lava with incentivized nodes to provide you that information quickly and with high scale and guarantees. So you could actually make your light clients work faster by joining Lava networks. So light clients and Lava aren't competing. Lava aims to create light clients environment where it's monetized correctly and incentivized correctly in order to support it. And then an ecosystem could say, hey, I really believe in light clients and I want it. I want 100,000 light clients and only five 
nodes and I want these nodes to scale really well and provide that service. Yeah, go ahead. You do an IPRPC endeavor for light client support and light clients can connect through Lava and those nodes are monetized. And I saw that uh, Nick White uh, talked about the problem of increasing the amount of light nodes having it not monetized. So Lava actually uses collateral and on-chain feedback and accountability to attach incentives to providing services. That's what we are so good at. We are good at people permissionlessly coming, serving information, having guarantees on that information and repercussions because, you know, if you're signing off on a wrong response, everybody can see it. And we have an on-chain resolution mechanism that can get you jailed or slashed. Um, and then that mechanism guarantees your integrity because depending on the client, some clients would configure their clients only to wait for a consensus of a lot of uh, relays. But a statistical client that says, hey, most of the time I'm uh, happy with statistically checking, which is what most checks are nowadays. That's the standard for crypto because you don't want to check everything because that's redundant. Um, and then uh, those checks are catching fraudulent providers. So providers are incentivized to behave honestly. They have their, their stake in place. Um, and then they can, um, you can actually monetize providing service, whether it's for a web page, for a light client, or for a enterprise grade uh, company that requires uh, millions of RPC calls. So as, as we wrap up here, I wanted to maybe talk a little bit more about the yeah the roadmap um currently the project is in testnet so people actually people can actually go to lava uh network.xyz and start using lava integrated in their in their application it's still in testnet but you can use it in production um but yeah what's the road to mainnet and um when airdrop if any i i always ask that question all even though people can usually not answer but I like to ask uh, it anyway. At least I, I've done my. Not, at least I've done my I'm diligence. Not, <laughs> I'm not wearing the foundation hat, so I cannot reply to that. Yeah, yeah. But we're, we will announce a foundation really soon. Uh, we're on track for launching Q1 mainnet uh, this year, 2024. Um, we have uh, progressed greatly with IPRPC endeavors, and we have uh, increased demand for it. We have some very exciting announcements regarding IPRPC uh, with some uh, stuff that. Uh, are coming for sure, uh, yet haven't been announced. And uh, the roadmap for the close uh, period is focusing on mainnet and focusing scalability and the deliverance of the great product we have been building uh, during you know, uh, increased demand that we are expecting in the next year. Uh, and besides that, we're scaling up our uh, data access services, having some great partnerships uh, such as Subsquid uh, for indexing services, uh, and uh, we have been in talks with some centralized providers joining in, uh, providing their services. Uh, I cannot name them until they want to uh, officially go live, but they will be uh, providing their services uh, on Lava as well. So Lava is gonna, uh, moving forward, it's gonna, in the close year, it's gonna expand and add more services. And in the long term, uh, I envision Lava um, helping sequencers uh, offer their services in a decentralized manner. And you could have solvers providing intense services uh, and decentralized oracles. So 
the future for providing any API in a, in a centric place for aggregation, permissionlessly accessible with a very uh, varied tech stack. I think it's gonna be the way for developers to build. That, that would be the goal place for a developer that wants to build on blockchain to go to because it's gonna be well-documented with a lively community that is dedicated to making developers' lives easier. And service providers are gonna come and offer their services there first because they can focus on tech instead of hype. And they would be chosen because their quality of service is better or they were giving the flexibility of the service to their consumers rather than uh, having a brand or uh, specific stuff that are missing where the other stuff are subpar, but the users are locked in because they need that. Excellent. Well, Omer, thanks so much for coming on and uh, spending time with me dissecting lava and getting to understand all the all the technical aspects here, because I think that's one of the most interesting things about lava is just like how uh, technically complex it is, but but also um, what a what a great product it is for developers to get better access to data. And I think uh, unfragment this uh, this data offering that we have in crypto that I think is a big problem for um, for developers to build great applications that people want to use. So thanks again. Thank for you out. very much for having me and, uh, you know, uh, taking the time to explore the complexity of uh, solving that problem in Web3. Thank you.